The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. The message today is from the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai is a short little book, but it's full of rich truths. If you've ever found yourself becoming complacent in the service of the Lord, you need to read this book and really study it because it shows you what can happen when complacency sets in, not open rebellion, but complacency. And it also shows you what can happen when we get reinvigorated for the service of God. This message is the first message in a series on the book of Haggai preached from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church on Wednesday nights over the past several months. I hope the sermons are a benefit to you. It certainly was a great benefit to me to study in preparation for this series. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
Tonight, um, we want to turn to the book of Haggai, the first chapter. Several years ago, I tried to do a series on Haggai, and I don't know if this is where we'll stay on Wednesday nights or not, but I do know that's where my heart has been drawn out tonight. The book of Haggai is sort of the beginning of the end of the Old Testament. There's Haggai, Zechariah, and then Malachi. The last three prophets that prophesied before the time of about 400 years where there was no word from God. You think about that. The, the children of Israel had been used to men of God being raised up to prophesy to them or to judge them or even further back, men like Moses and Abraham who led them. But for 400 years, there's a period of of time that there is no word, there is no inspired word of God. Amos kind of prophesied about that when he said the time's coming when there'll be a famine, not of food or of water, but of hearing the word of God. Now, you might say, well, Brother Chris, there's been 2,000 years where there's been no, uh, in, no new inspiration from God. But the difference in us now and then them is that now we have everything we need in written form in the scriptures. I heard it said by one preacher one time that if the Lord spoke out of heaven today, he'd just repeat something he's already said because he's told us everything we need to know. Everything we need is in this, this book we call the Bible, the Old and the New Testaments. But in that day, they had what they needed, but they didn't know it all yet because it was still leading up to the time of the most important event in human history to that point, and that was the birth and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Haggai here is prophesying about, I don't know, four to 500 years before Jesus. Now, let's talk about just for a few minutes the background and the historical context of the book of Haggai because it's very important. And I think if you'll, if you'll think about it and you think about where we are today, you may see some parallels. So some 70 years before, uh, before Haggai, actually some 85 or 90 years before Haggai, the Babylonians had come into Jerusalem, they had come into to, to, to the land of Israel, and they had laid waste to the land, they had taken the people captive, and they had destroyed Solomon's temple. They had torn it down to the ground. And the children of Israel were exiled for, uh, for 70 years. Jeremiah prophesied that that was what was going to happen. And we know this was a judgment from God. We know this was the chastening hand of the Lord that caused this to happen. They had been unfaithful. They had been idolatrous. They had been uh, violent. There had been innocent blood shed throughout the land. In fact, if you go back to the ending, the last two or three chapters of Second Kings and the last two or three chapters of Second Chronicles, you're going to find out why. There was a king named Manasseh who was the great-grandfather of Josiah, who was the last good king, who had come in and he had actually himself participated in that vile heathen worship that involved sacrificing his own children to the god Molech. He had, he had made his own children pass through the fire. And that's, when you read that in the, in the prophets, you read about him saying he made their children to pass through the fire. That is a euphemism. That's a, a nice way of putting it, that they sacrificed their children to this God of those lands. 
Now, I don't want to get too far afield at this point, but think about where we are today. Think about what's happening every day legally in America. Children being sacrificed on the altar of convenience. It's not convenient to have this child. It's not convenient to my circumstance to be able to, uh, to have this child and try to raise this child. And they're sacrificed every day on the altar of convenience. And it's legal in America. It's legal. They were in a bad place. And God brought judgment on that land because of that. But, but he had promised them 70 years and then you get to go back. Now, at the end of that captivity, turn, turn, keep your finger here in Haggai. Turn back over to Ezra. Ezra tells us about, um, about the return of the children of Israel. And beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1, we read this. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia... Now, you remember we said the Babylonians had taken them captive, but, but in, in God's providential dealings with, these, with, with the people of God, the Persians came in and, and, and overthrew the Babylonian Empire. And now Cyrus, the king of Persia, we're told in the first year of Cyrus, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Where is the, who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. So in Ezra we read that, that this king's heart was stirred up by God to let the people of God go back home, just like he promised that he would. And notice that the primary directive of this king that came, this came from God is go back and rebuild my house. Rebuild the temple. Build it. Go back, set it up. Now, we're not gonna, you don't have to turn there and read it, but in the third chapter of Ezra, we read about them going back. We read about them setting up the altars. Zerubbabel was uh, the king. The, the, he was in the kingly line. He wasn't actually called king, but he would have been the king if, if, the, if the kingdom had survived, and he was the one that led them back, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, was the high priest. Uh, he was the spiritual leader, and they went back, and the first thing they did is they set up the, they set up the altar, they laid the foundations of the temple, and they got to work. And the Samaritans and others around who were enemies of the kingdom of God, they said, let us work with you. And the reason they wanted to work with them is to, is to weaken their hands. But they wouldn't let them do that. They wouldn't let them come in. And because they wouldn't let them come in and because they were enemies of the kingdom of God, they started a letter-writing campaign. They started stirring up trouble. And the next thing you know, the king of Persia issues, which is a new king, a different king, he issues a, a decree that says stop building the temple. Stop building the temple. And if you read it sometime, you'll see in Ezra, the fourth chapter, in the last verse, the 24th verse, when you figure out the dates on that, they stopped building the temple and the work of the temple ceased for about 15 years. Could have been 14, could have been 16, but nice round figure, just about 15 years. So what happened and what's the problem? Let's begin reading in Haggai now, the first chapter. 
In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, now just, to, just to put us in the right context, this is 15 years, this message is 15 years after the work of the temple ceased. Okay, the work of the temple got started, the foundations were laid, then they stopped building because they were told to, and 15 years has passed, and now Haggai is about to tell them a, a message from God. And here is the message of God. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now, just to stop right here, that's not the rest, that's not all the message, we'll come back to it. But notice what's happening here. Okay, the children of God have been given a job to do. They've got work to do in the kingdom of God. They've, they've been in captivity. They've been in bondage and they've gone back. Now, I want you to understand, they could have stayed in Babylon and, and been in lots more comfort and ease. They were able to serve God in Babylon. You remember Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego? It was tough. There was problems. But, you know, the Jews weren't treated horribly in Babylon. They were, they were brought cap, they were taken captive and brought out there and some of their leaders were killed, but generally they were just transplanted and allowed for the most part to do their own thing. Now you know the story, you know the image that they were supposed to bow to and the fiery furnace and you know about Daniel and the den of lions and all that, but in, they had persecutions, but generally speaking, uh, conditions were better in Babylon than they were in Jerusalem. Because remember, they had destroyed Jerusalem. And they, all, the, all that was left in Jerusalem were farmers and poor folks that just eked out a living for those generations that they were there. And in fact, if you go look up the numbers, and I've forgotten the total number, but it was in probably around, I, I want to say it was around a million Jews that were transplanted from Jerusalem and taken captive and, and into Babylon. And if you look at the numbers that went back, there were only about 52,000 that went back. Comparatively speaking, that's not very many. That's the small percentage of the total. And my point about it is this. These people who were here in Jerusalem who had started building the temple and then stopped building the temple for 15 years were not rank, rebellious children of God. They were, they were generally obedient. They weren't the rebels. They weren't the ones that said, we're not going to do anything God says. They were the ones that were the most faithful in some ways by being willing to pick up from the relative ease of Babylon and go back to the work that needed to be done in Jerusalem in the kingdom of God. These were children of God, first of all, and not only children of God, but really true disciples in many ways. But notice what has happened. This people, now these people that were faithful, verse 2, this people say the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Now, now, remember, you can't fault them for stopping. I mean, I've said this before. If, if we came here one Sunday morning 
And there was a notice from the sheriff on our door that said, this building is closed until further notice by order of the court. It wouldn't be appropriate in our system of government, particularly for us to just kick the door down and come on in and say, no, that's, that's, not, that's not where we go immediately. No, by golly, we're going to come in here and we're going to defy the government. You know, people want to defy the government all the time. Some people want to defy the government just to be defying the government. The Bible says that we're to, we're to obey those that have the rule over us. And generally, that's what the disciples and the apostles did, right? Until it came to the problem of when the, when the, the, the authorities began to forbid them for, from doing what God said to do. And then they said we ought to obey God more than man. But what I'm trying to say is not that we should give up. See, that's what happened with the children of God. It's as if... It would ha if it happened today, it would be like we show up Sunday morning and the, sh and the order's on the door to shut everything down and we say, oh, well, it was good while it lasted. Let's go back home. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be appropriate to kick the doors down and, and, and intentionally defy the government. But what we should do is we should go seek out uh, under the law the right pathway to get this thing fixed first. That should be our first, uh, our first choice. Our first approach would be to go do it right, do it under the law. And let me, let me just say this too. There's, there's a place for revolution. There's a place for rebellion. There's a place for, as I said, for defying the government. But it's rare because almost always there's a way to get to what you need by going obediently under the rules of the society that you're in. You know, they didn't, they didn't rise up in revolution in Babylon. They just kept doing You know, Daniel didn't get out and protest. He didn't start carrying signs. I'm not saying there's no place for that. There's certainly, it's our freedom to do that in this nation, and there's a place for that sometimes. But Daniel didn't go out marching uh, up with prayer. I'm a praying man. You know, prayer, prayer works or whatever. He didn't go do that. He just started. He just kept praying. He just kept praying just like he always had, and he ended up in the den of lions. You know, we're going to, let me just say, we're going to get in enough trouble as it is just doing quietly what God tells us to do. We don't have to go out and, on the street corners and, 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 and get in your face, okay? Now, I'm not, again, I'm not saying we should never uh, uh, protest or that there's no place. You know, the American Revolution, I believe, was of the Lord. I believe it was in, in God's providential plan for his church that there be a place that's a haven for the church. But, but what we should do and what these Jews should have done is pursued it further. You know why I know this, Brother Mackey? Because when they did pursue it, it worked out beautifully. <laughs> it didn't really take much effort 15 years later to get back to work. All they had to do was write a few letters and send an emissary to the king and the new king. They went and searched out the records and they said, oh, wait a minute. I know we told you to stop, but... but Cyrus said you could go do it. So go do it. And not only did they say go build the temple, he, he ordered those uh, that were enemies to help them, <laughs> provide, them with, provide them with help to do that. So that, I throw all that in there for free tonight. You know what? I mean? I'm not going to cost you any extra. But I just, they should have continued in 15 years ago and pursuing this. But what happened was they gave up. They gave up. And, and, and they weren't being ugly about it. I'm sure. I'm sure that if you went around and took a poll, you went door to door and said, hey, how do y'all feel about, about building the temple? They said, man, I'm all for it. And we just, we're going to get back to it one day. We're going to get to it one day. We're going we're to build this temple. We're all in favor of this. Let's take a vote. 
all in favor of building the temple say aye, aye. Everybody would say aye. It would be unanimous. But just not now. Just not. See, what had happened was they had become complacent. They'd gotten at ease in Zion. You know, Isaiah says, woe to them that are at ease in Zion. That doesn't mean there's not a rest. You know, the church is a place of rest, but it's also a place to work. And we're told in Hebrews that we're to, there's a rest for the children of God. But you know what? you got to work. He said, labor, that you might enter into that rest. Now, we're not talking about heavenly rest. That's not something we can work for. That's not something we can labor for. What he's saying there is, if you are one of his children, and you have been born of the Spirit, and you do see yourself as one of those that was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, and now you have a vital relationship with God through the new birth, then there's work to do. There's, you've got to labor to enter into that rest. You know, some of the labor is to overcome the old man. Some of the laboring that you've got to do is to overcome those lusts of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. You know, those are things that afflict all of us, right? Job said, I've made a covenant with mine eyes. Wherefore then should I think upon a maid? You know, sometimes we misquote that. We say, I made a covenant, Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why should I look upon a maid? That's not the way it reads. It says, why should I think upon a maid? You know why he said that? Because Job knew that the eyes are the gateway to the mind. And what you put into your mind through your eyes is what you will think on. And what you will meditate upon. What, what will come back to you at the most inopportune times. Sometimes those are, you know, we got to labor to enter into the rest that's provided to us here and now. You know, that's what the church is all about. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. You know, most people, I'm sorry to say, and I don't mean this critically, I don't mean this in an ugly way, I mean it in a, in a beseeching way and in a way of compassion. So many people think the church's responsibility is to get people saved for eternal heaven. But the church's responsibility, the church's job, the kingdom of, of God's job is to get us saved from this crooked and untoward generation. There's a big difference. Peter said that we're, we're saved eternally through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he turned right around and said, save yourselves from this untoward generation. That word untoward means crooked. In other words... That's great. And, and that's, listen, the most important fact of our lives as children of God is that we have been bought and paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the most important fact in our lives. But because of that fact, we ought to be laboring every day to serve the one who saved us eternally. And thereby, we will save ourselves from this untoward or crooked generation. What does he mean by that? Well, you know, for instance, I can save myself from, from, from drug addiction by not doing drugs. Or if I've done drugs, I can save myself out of that by turning to the Word of God, by turning to the help that's provided through the rehab centers of this world, but primarily by filling my mind and my heart for the things of God. By the way, you can't stop something and that be enough. You know, it's not enough just to stop some sin. You've you got a habitual sin that afflicts you like all of us do. <laughs> you know, yours may be different than mine. I have habitual sins that afflict me. And I can't just, you know, it's easy to say, just stop it. <laughs> and we should stop it, but don't just stop it because, you know, we heard the saying, nature abhors a vacuum. Your soul, 
your heart abhors a vacuum. If all you ever do is stop doing what you've been doing that's wrong, then, then you're going to have problems because something else is going to fill it up. You need to stop what you're doing and fill it up with the Word of God. You need to fill your mind. You know, stop. Maybe it's, maybe it's looking at, at, at images that you shouldn't be looking at. That's, okay, stop that. But don't just stop that. Fill up the, your mind. Renew your mind, we're told. In, in Romans 12th chapter, in the first verse, he says that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice Holy, uh, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves, your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, it's just reasonable, isn't it, to serve God because of what all he's done for you. You know, if I came, if I came along and I was in debt, a million dollars, and Brother James comes along and says, here's a million dollars, I paid your debt off. It wouldn't be unreasonable to think that I ought to go cut his grass every summer for the rest of my life, would it? <laughs> that's just reasonable. That's just reasonable. That's, that's even less than reasonable. I, there's a lot more I ought to do for him because of what he's done for me. Well, see, he's saying to us, think about the million dollars that I'm talking about is nothing, nothing compared to the price that was paid for you and I on Calvary. It's priceless. The precious blood of the Lamb which was without spot and without blemish is what saved you and I for eternity. It's just our reasonable service to, to try to sacrifice our bodies to him every day. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J, C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.